0: section fourteen of the dial may nineteen twenty by various this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by matt berard section fourteen a novelist's background by robert morse lovett letters of anton chekhov to his family and friends translated by constance garnett four hundred and sixteen pages macmillan company new york One approaches chekhov's letters after reading the introduction with high anticipations he was the son of a serf who had bought his freedom and achieved considerable prosperity as a merchant in when anton was sixteen he had to witness his father's failure the sale of the household possessions and the drifting away of the family to moscow leaving him alone to support himself at school the intensity of the family interest in chekhov's life appears in the fact that in his later prosperity he made his father mother and sister share his home and the relief of a second interest is shown by the fact that he found consolation for this early separation in the high-school girls of Rock. the mysteries of love i fathomed at the age of thirteen he wrote later one divines an exclusively russian experience in these early days but of anything so generic as the exuberant brutality of gorky's family life the letters contain no trace or of the ecstasy and sorrow of youthful love chukov took his degree in medicine in the university of moscow during the years when the nihilist movement was absorbing the russian intellectuals but of revolutionary ardor or the passion for martyrdom there is nothing he won early notice by his stories in the and his first play ivanov was a great controversial success he enjoyed his fame the stir and excitement of society which it drew about him the poignant personal relations which it opened to him the whole experience made more intense by the tuberculosis which already had shown itself one is reminded of the similar career which the youthful stevenson was leading in these same years but for a temperamental reaction upon it one looks in vain in chekhov's letters as Stevenson crossed the plains of america chekhov crossed siberia to examine the most remote of the penal settlements on the island of Sakhalin. he traveled by horse and boat and spent three months in Saharan, making a complete social survey of the island his zeal found further expression in the organization of famine relief and in the fight against the cholera epidemic into which his medical training brought him but no note of social enthusiasm which could explain these sacrifices appears in the letters his last years were full of variety and crisis the first production of the seagull in eighteen ninety six was a failure followed by a complete reversal of the popular verdict and a general revival of chekhov's plays by the art theatre in moscow he married olga Nipper, one of the leading actresses of the company in nineteen o one the struggle between fame and love and death went on with increasing violence the cherry orchard in which chekhov's dramatic method reached its highest fulfilment was produced in january 1904, the twenty-fifth anniversary of his commencing author with homage from all russia six months later he died it may be said then that the letters of chekhov are at first sight disappointing they corroborate only faintly and unemphatically the life so vivid in outline either they have been subjected to a drastic process of selection and expurgation or they represent the reduction of experience to an even neutral tone of objective observation of detachment almost of indifference both explanations are doubtless in a measure true the letters to olga nipper for example if any, would reveal Chekhov as a man of passion and sorrow, and of these but few appear. But on the whole, and with Chekhov's stories and plays before us, we must incline to the latter theory. Among letter-writers he belongs to the school of Prosper Merrimay, rather than Stevenson. The few letters of Mademoiselle Nipper, which have been included, recall in their exquisite lightness and playful charm the letters A. un but whereas the attitude of merrimay was a studied and disciplined pose an artistic restraint defying passion that of chekhov was natural unschooled inevitable he recognized his lack of emphasis in life and in art as a limitation a sort of mediocrity life is short he wrote to suvara and chekhov from whom you are expecting an answer would like it to flash by brilliantly and with dash he would go to prince's island to constantinople and again to india and saham but in the first place he is not free he has a respectable family who need his protection in the second he has a large dose of cowardice looking toward the future i call nothing but cowardice how the same sort of inhibition affected his art appears in another letter to the same critic who reproached him for leaving his story the party a mere i let myself go at the beginning and write with an easy mind but by the time i get to the middle i begin to grow timid and to fear that my story will be too long i have to remember that the has not much money and that i am one of their expensive contributors this is why the beginning of my stories is always very promising and looks as though i was starting on a novel the middle is huddled and timid and the end is as in a short sketch like fireworks the most important service which the letters of a writer of fiction can render is to show us how his experience of life entered into his work became the material of his art from this point of view the letters of chukhov are most revealing chukhov is the typical realist of russian life as mapleson is of french his work consists of an enormous number of cases fully observed and amply annotated how copiously these cases came to him may be seen by a comparison of his stories chronologically arranged with the events of his life on a journey to teghenrol he wrote we talked of railways the inspector told us how the Sevastopol Railway stole 300 carriages from the Azov line and painted them in its own color, an incident which furnished the germ of the story Cold Blood. And in the same letter, he wrote, at an upper window, at the far end of the station, sits a young girl, or a married lady, goodness knows which, in a white blouse, beautiful and languid. I look at her, she looks at me, etc., which eventuated in two beauties he worked of such suggestions with the aid both of his own experience and of imagination his experience transferred to his characters gave them being his imagination projected them on ways far beyond the meagre frame of actual life in which he saw them in the step it is clear that he is relying chiefly on experience the story is merely the steady unflinching narrative of a boy's journey day and night with the wagons which carried the wool to the market of his intercourse with the drivers and observation of the landscape vast unyielding sinister like hardy's Edgton heath in a dreary story on the contrary it is imagination that carries the concept of the superannuated professor into a series of situations of grotesque futility of another masterpiece, the grasshopper, Chakov records with glee that it nearly precipitated a libel suit so closely had his imagination paralleled the course of an actual development. His trip across Siberia was fruitful in providing both cases and experience with which to enliven them. The hardships of horse travel in the cold and wet of a backward spring, with streams overflowing and mud understreaming the vast meaningless face of nature the abject figures of men sunk in distance and blurred in desolation give to the letters the poignancy of his siberian stories undoubtedly chacol's profession was a cardinal fact in his career in the first place it kept him from becoming seclusive in his art his stories are a natural and healthy by-product ''Medicine is my lawful wife, and literature is my mistress,'' he wrote. ''When I get tired of one, I spend the night with the other. Though it's disorderly, it's not so dull, and neither of them loses anything from my infidelity. If I did not have my medical work, I doubt if I could have given my leisure and my spare thoughts to literature. There is no discipline in me. But more essentially than this, the practice of medicine determined both his material and his method.'' the number of his stories which deal with sickness and death is very large and in these the objective experience of the physician is completed and intensified by the subjective experience of illness itself chekhov was both observer and sufferer it speaks much for his generally buoyant and healthy nature that in his work the objective element so distinctly predominates moreover contact with science made an analyst and a realist he was of the school of zola which devoted itself to realism in the name of science and he looked with scorn on such beginnings of the crusade against scientific materialism as appear in bourget's les forgive me he wrote but i can't understand such crusades whom is the crusade against and what is its object in the first place the materialistic movement is not a school or tendency in the narrow journalistic sense it is not something passing or accidental it is necessary inevitable and beyond the power of man they seek for truth in matter where there is nowhere else to seek for it since they see hear and sense matter alone of necessity they can only seek for truth where their microscopes lancets and knives are of use to them outside matter there is neither knowledge nor experience and consequently there is no truth. Holding this philosophy of literature, Chekhov made it his aim to come as close as possible to his subject-matter. There is of art he abhorred, as inhibiting, interrupting this immediate contact. Of the word art I am terrified, as merchants wise are terrified of brimstone all conversations about what is artistic only weary me and seemed to me like a continuation of the scholastic disputations with which people wearied themselves in the middle ages accordingly he wrote with careless haste and negligent ease i don't remember a single story over which i have spent more than twenty-four hours and the huntsman which you liked i wrote in the bathing shed I write my stories as reporters write their notes about fires, mechanically, half-unconsciously, taking no thought of the reader or myself. He apologized for this haste. I do not write very much, he urged extenuatingly, not more than two or three short stories weekly. After the first failure of the seagull, he wrote, When I got home, I took a dose of castor oil and had a cold bath, and now I am ready to write another play. The first characteristic of his work is its copiousness. He was not the sparing artist like Flaubert, but the lavish master of life like Balzac, and therefore his work is more impressive in its mass than in its detail. One continuous source of interest in Chekhov's letters is supplied by his opinions of his contemporaries. These are invariably consistent with his practice as analytical realist, Goncharov. began by admiring but later dismissed as second-rate chiefly on the ground that his chief character oblomov is exaggerated and overemphasized throughout a novel instead of being the hero of a mere story dostoevsky he thought long and indiscreet over pretentious Turgenev, he liked in parts bazaroff's illness in fathers and children is so powerfully done that i felt ill and had a sensation as though i had caught the infection from him but the girls and women he thought insufferable in their artificiality and falsity all the lionesses in fact fiery alluring insatiable creatures forever craving for something are all nonsensical when one thinks of tolstoy's Anna Karenin, all these young ladies of Turgenev's, with their seductive shoulders fade away into nothing. For Tolstoy, he had personal love and personal loyalty as to the leader and master of Russian literature. Toward two younger contemporaries, Andreyev and Gorky, his attitude is significant. Andreev's practice of massing his material in support of a predetermined theme he regarded with suspicion. Andreev's thought is something pretentious, difficult to understand and apparently no good but it is worked out with talent andrea has no simplicity and his talent reminds me of an artificial nightingale gorky he regarded with the indulgent favour of a master for a promising pupil he wrote to him as flaubert to maupassant and enforcing the same lesson you are an artist you are plastic that is when you describe a thing you see it and you touch it with your hands he did not hesitate to admonish his pupil for false rhetoric lack of restraint and over-emphasis your imagination is quick to seize and to hold but it is like a big oven which is not provided with fuel enough you present two or three figures in a story but these figures stand apart outside the mass one sees that these figures are living in your imagination but only these figures the mass is not but a few days later he added twenty-six men and a girl is a good story there is strong feeling of environment one smells the hot rolls of his own work chekhov was likely soundly critical he recognized that in his rapid handling of his material he missed many opportunities fell short of many achievements you say that the hero of my party is a character worth developing good lord i am not a senseless brute you know i understand that i understand that i cut the throats of my characters and spoil them and that i waste good material this will stand as a final criticism of chekhov's work it is followed by the passage quoted above in which he speaks of his stories as beginning like novels and ending like sketches he lacked the courage of the novelist he lacked also the sustained imagination he conceived his characters with extraordinary deftness, as doing and saying a great number of plausible things. He objectified them fully, but he failed to pluck out the heart of their mystery, if mystery they have. No better example of this brilliant plausibility in detail, leading no whither, is the story referred to, the party. Chekhov saw his characters, but not to the end, at times he displays a clairvoyance that results in a generalization of great pith and moment he sees in the devotion of his daughters proof that tolstoy is a great moral force for daughters are like sparrows you don't catch them with empty chaff a man can deceive his fiancée or his mistress as much as he likes and in the eyes of a woman he loves an ass may pass for a philosopher but a daughter is a different matter what a thing one exclaims for a novel or a play but Chekhov had not the patience to collect and arrange material for the development of a theme and after all he distrusted the method in his own plays he worked from his characters to achieve the vague and show it centrifugal quality of life not the neat logical precision of the dramatists art how far even a microscopic study of his text leaves us from realizing the fullness of his intention appears from the gloss which he furnished souverain of his Ivanov. It is as needful to the understanding of the play as a program to Strauss's tone poems. Eagerly he protested. Ivanov and Legov appear to my imagination to be living people. I tell you honestly, in all conscience, these men were born in my head not by accident not out of sea-foam or preconceived intellectual ideas they are the result of observing and studying life they stand in my brain and i feel that i have not falsified the truth nor exaggerated it a jot. in the end he confessed if on paper they have not come out clear and living the fault is not in them but in me for not being able to express my thoughts it shows it is too early for me to begin writing plays perhaps it was still too early when he wrote the seagull and the cherry orchard something may be conceded to immaturity when it is remembered that ibsen whom he much admired was thirty years older when he wrote his prose plays but more must be attributed to the quality of the russian life and character which he depicted ibsen had before him his stiff norwegians in their rigid social frame awaiting only their labels chekhov had the vagrant fluctuating volatile souls of russia in a setting of premature civilization already struck through with decay what wonder that the hand of the dyer became subdued to the material in which he worked he recognized the fact with a note of prophecy in one of the few lyric passages in his letters which he permitted himself Our society is exhausted hatred has turned it as rank and rotten as grass in a bog and it has a longing for something fresh free light-a desperate longing end of section fourteen